0: Good morning, Journey. Good morning. Happy Fourth of July to you as we celebrate our, our independence today. You know, if if you were to do a little research, you would notice that a lot of our states across our country have some really outdated laws on the books. Uh, some, some awkward and weird, w- weird ones. For example, in Florida, back in the day when women would go to the, uh, the salon, they would sit underneath those hair dryers. Well, it's still against the law to fall asleep under one of those hair dryers. <laughs> in Indiana, it, it's still on the books, and it's against the law to attend a movie theater within four hours after eating garlic. You know, probably, probably a good idea. In, in Illinois, <laughs> a man with a mustache uh, is not allowed to kiss a woman. So that rules out a few of you guys. And then also in, in Illinois, it is illegal to ice skate on a pond in June. So just <laughs> keep that in mind. Keep the ice skates tucked away. Um, also in Illinois, it's illegal to make a face at a dog. So you just kind of tuck that in the back of your mind. Now in, in Wisconsin, Uh, The dairy state where my family hails from, at one time in order to encourage the sale of butter, margarine was deemed illegal. So probably something to keep in mind. And still still on the books there that it's against the law in Wisconsin to serve apple pie in a public restaurant without a slice of cheese on top. I used to thought it was really weird to put cheese on apple pie until I tried it. And I'm like, you know, this is actually pretty good. It goes together. Now, sometimes we find humor in some of those laws like that. And, you know, we, we groan and laugh at it. You know, but we would, would not be laughing necessarily at some of the rules and even expectations found within some churches today. Now, most of these rules are, are unwritten. But they're there, and these rules vary from denomination to denomination, from church to church, and even from, you know, a leadership group to a different leadership group. So many people attempt to keep these rules and follow these expectations, or they at least expect others to do so. And this is really a form of, of legalism. And legalism can be defined, like in a, in a dictionary term, as just a strict adherence to the law. Now, in, in a church setting, uh, sometimes legalism can creep in, and it's really the idea of, of performing or following a code to gain special recognition. Now, that, not, that might be from God or from other people, but you follow the set of expectations to get that extra gold star by your name. You know, last week in our sermon, we talked about our walk with Jesus and how in our walk, you know, we we are encouraged to make some spiritual progress. And there's things that we can do to help us move forward. But you know what? Our, Our walk can be stunted and even choked to death by the weeds of legalism. Now, I want to give you a few observations about legalism before we dive into our text from Colossians today. Um, when it comes to legalism, we often think others are legalistic, but we're not. You know, so, sometimes we think our, our sins don't smell as bad as, as the people next to us. So, so we are pin, quick to pinpoint that on other people, but we don't see that in ourselves. Another just observation is that legalism is highly contagious. You thought the COVID pandemic was bad. Well, legalism can infiltrate churches and just like, and and really be contagious and harmful. And along that lines, legalism, when it does creep into life and does creep into a church, can take a vibrant, healthy, alive faith and make it dull and lifeless, lifeless. Also, legalism really tends us to make, make us narrow and divisive. And by that I mean um, people who are legalistic say that you have to be like me. We all, we all have to follow the same set of expectations so, and don't vary from it. And when, when you live that way, you, you lose the, the joy of the uniqueness that God has created us to be. And lastly, and this is probably the tough one, is that unless you're intentional and deliberate, legalism is easy to fall into. It's easy to fall into kind of a, a performance-based discipleship, a performance-based religion, where it's all about just accomplishing something and checking the boxes. Well, today in our in our series called The Supreme Life, we come to chapter two in, in the book of Colossians. And and we've been looking through Colossians and as we do, uh, we're we're really seeing that Jesus alone is supreme. But also Jesus alone is sufficient for our salvation. Jesus alone is sufficient for us to, to grow in our faith. So Colossians was written to confront these teachers that were saying, yes, Jesus, you need Jesus, but you also need to do X, Y, Z. Or you also need to have these extra things, these, these, um, these uh, secret knowledge things that, that were out there that day. Yeah, you, you got to have Jesus. Yeah, they, they understood that. But there's also a different level that you need to attain to. Now our passage that we're looking at today from from chapter 2 really points out just how futile that thinking is. How futile a Christless spirituality is. Because here's the point that I want you to, to get today. That any spirituality that veers away from Jesus is a Christless spirituality. You know, it, it's almost a, a duh thing to say Christianity centers on Christ, you know. Yeah, we, we, we get that, we get it. But you know, it's so easy to veer from that at times. It's easy to veer away from Jesus and get pulled into the weeds of legalism so much so that they grab us and, and they hold us down. So our text from, from uh, chapter 2 of Colossians today gives us a few warnings that can help us uh, Pull the weeds of legalism from our life. The the first warning is to refuse to judge by externals alone. Refuse to judge by externals. So we we pick up in chapter 2, verse 16, where the author writes, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day; these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So, what's our text talking about there? What's all that discussion about? Well, it's referring back to some Old Testament practices and and standards. You know, verse sixteen lists these lifestyle. Um, elements that, that came from the law given to the Israelites back way back when on Mount Sinai. So these are taken right from the books of Leviticus and Numbers, and all these, these restrictions, like diet restrictions, they were very tight. And they, they had religious festivals that, that were basically mandated and required to celebrate, and they were, would require the family to travel to the temple in Jerusalem to be a part of it. So all of these, these festivals that, that are mentioned there in verse 16, those were those annual events that they would travel to Jerusalem. But also the new moon celebrations, as, as the name implies, that they would be celebrated uh, the cycle of every month. And then the Sabbaths were just wee- weekly celebrations where they would stop and pause and just remember who God was. So all, all of these practices that, that they went through, they really helped just set the rhythms of life for the Israelites. I mean, the, these were things that filled their calendar, that set their weeks, that marked their days, and really defined their faith and devotion to God. These, these were good things to celebrate. Like today, we're celebrating our independence, and the Israelites would celebrate their uniqueness as a nation, just like we celebrate our uniqueness as a nation. And it really defined who they were. And you got to understand these things were important for, for their day. They were important for their faith because it set them apart from the pagan nations that surrounded them. They were what defined them and made them unique in the sense that, that, that these said, we are not like all of these other nations that we live amongst. By following these, this defines us as a people of God. So in that regard, they were not bad. They were designed for that purpose. But our text today tells us that these were a shadow of things that were to come. The reality of all those things, the overall intent of those things pointed to the Messiah. So our text says the reality is found in Christ. So these Old Testament practices and laws and festivals and celebrations, they were good in and of themselves, but they are no longer the measure to mark your faith by. Now it's all about Jesus. And Jesus, is, in his presence today, he reigns and rules over all people and all times. So his presence, it goes back to the Old Testament. And, and as the text said, it's a taste of things to come. His presence is in our times as the one who reigns and rules. And his presence is into the future as the one who will, retur- will return in all glory and power. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, puts it succinctly, where it says, The law is only a shadow of the th- good things to come that are coming, not the realities themselves. And that's just a good reminder and tells us clearly that, yeah, those things pointed to something in the future, and they pointed to Jesus. But you know what? It's really easy to judge by externals, isn't it? Because it's the things that that we can see. They're easy to define. It's it's easy to to see where, where we're doing well and where we're not. So if, if, our, if our rules and laws say that you shouldn't eat something and you don't eat it, you're doing good. You can check that off the list. If our rules and laws and expectations say that you should attend this event or show up for this thing and you show up, then you're doing good. You know, if our expectations are when you pray, you should kneel and you kneel and pray, then that's obviously you're, you're doing well because you can see it. And in, in our culture today, there, there's other examples. You know, there's certain movies and TVs, and shows and books. You know, some are okay and in, in that sense, to, to watch as a Christian. And other ones are out. You know, There there's some forms of entertainment to avoid. And they usually have the word adult in front of entertainment. So don't even go there, right? But there's also areas of, of conscience where you personally might not be comfortable with it, and that's perfectly fine. But those areas of conscience can't, cannot become a rule or law for others to follow. So, you know, Scripture's clear. It's like what, what's fine for you might be a stumbling, stumbling block for somebody else. And what's a stumbling block for somebody else, you know, might be fine for you. We, we can't turn those into laws and rules and expectations for everybody everywhere to follow. You know, I remember, like, this is 20-plus years ago when the first Harry Potter books came out. Our, our children were in elementary school at the time, and, and at that time, there was a strong movement in some churches against the Harry Potter books because they felt that if, if your child read, the, read these books and dove into the, you know, the Harry Potter mania that it would damage their faith. You know, so we, we as parents, we said, we, we don't want our children reading that. And there was some serious cultural, Christian culture pressure against that. And you were deemed, you know, a good parent or a bad parent, wh- whether you allowed your children to read those books or not. You know, would those books have damaged my children's faith? No, probably not, but the pressure was there to say that's on the do not do list. In fact, last year I went back and and I read the first book in the Harry Potter series, and you know what? It was a great story. It was well written, and I enjoyed it, and I'm like, you know, this is actually pretty good. What was I thinking, you know, 20 years ago? You know, we, we need to be alert in our life against the fact that we, we cannot evaluate other people on external standards. Because external standards really, what are they about? They're about behavior modification and not heart transformation. So that's the first warning our, our text gives today is refuse to judge by externals. But the second warning it gives is to reject a false a false authority that's out there. Let's pick up in verse 18. You know, there's people out there that will want to disqualify you and, and your faith. And and the word in our text today that means disqualify, it, it means to to declare unworthy of a prize. You know, in athletic events uh, you, you can be DQ'd. And that's not just the ice cream that we eat downtown. It means disqualified. And, and if you're running track and you step over the line or, or if you're in a swim meet and you do something wrong, you know, you can get DQ next to your name in the meet and you're, you're disqualified. It's where the official says, you have done something to violate the rules and standards and you can no longer compete. Your efforts are null and void. But we, we read these scriptures in these verses today and we think, does that really, is that relevant? For what, you know, what, where we're at today? Well, I think a key phrase there is those two words, false humility. We have to keep that in mind because it implies kind of this self-denial process that goes to the extreme where we, where we can um, lift ourselves up over other people. So the self-denial process, you know, it might be extreme fasting. It might be extended times of prayer. It might be denying oneself certain things to say, look at me, or I am spiritual because I do this so that others notice. And the focus then becomes the experiential and not, not Jesus So Paul describes these people in four ways. He says they have this false sense of humility, so they present themselves as humble and holy, but in reality they're filled with a little bit of spiritual pride and superiority. He says they, they worship angels. In other words, they focus on spiritual beings rather than on Christ. He says they've seen visions, you know, they they have the latest word from the Lord instead of looking to the word of the Lord. They are puffed up with notions. In in other words, you know, they have a lot of these inner secrets that that were floating around in the Colossian church. These inner secrets that led to big heads but not necessarily burning hearts for Jesus. You know, we, we we might not use that terminology today, but we see elements of that even in our culture today. You know, people that are, are mystics or, are really tied into spirituality, but not necessarily Jesus. They're, they're spiritual, but not Christian. So we see elements even in our culture today. But here's the point that I want to draw out from the text today. It says that they've lost connection with the head. They're disconnected from the head, meaning Jesus Christ. You know, they're decapitated. You know, how, how long do you live after being decapitated? You know, it's pretty instant. And they're dead, be, our scripture says, because they're not focusing on Jesus. Their focus is angels or visions or, or you know certain inner knowledge that not everybody is privy to. So, Journey, let me just say this. Before you seek experiences, seek Christ. And before you look for a right feeling, seek a right relationship with our God. And before you seek emotion, seek eternity. Don't, don't get pulled away in, into a false sense of pride, of this false authority that says, you know, you could be disqualified if, if you don't do these things so reject being judged by externals alone reject this false sense of authority that wants to disqualify some believers and finally if we want to pull the weeds of legalism we need to reject religious rules just for the sake of rules so we back in our text we pick up in verse 20 Where it says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, it says, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based merely on merely human commands and teachings. And such regulations... With their self-imposed, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You know, rules often focus on like personal, personal discipline, which really sounds good on the per. On on the surface because, you know, we all need a little discipline in in our lives, don't we? I think all of us would agree a lack of discipline, you know, does not help us make spiritual progress. But these teachers and in in this church in Colossae were saying that those disciplines were absolutely necessary for fellowship with God, that they were required and they were getting off base because they were doing that. You know, if, if you were to look back, over church history over the last few hundred years, you would see kind of an ebb and flow of the emphasis of spiritual disciplines throughout history. You know, there's this whole, whole monastic movement, which is the development of monks and nuns and convents and abbeys, and, and throughout that history, there's a lot of ebb and flow on, on the emphasis of spiritual disciplines. In fact, the, the founder of Christian monasticism um, was a guy named Anthony, you know, he was con- considered the father of all monks. Whether he was the first one or not is debatable. But he really kind of spearheaded a movement. And Anthony lived in literally absolute solitude for 15 years. And, and he was looked upon as, you know, kind of the pinnacle of, of being a monk. And it's all, I also read one account that said Anthony uh, never changed his clothes or washed his feet. You know, getting stinky for Jesus was considered the, the ultimate, you know, thing to aim for. And there, there was another monk named Simon, Simon Stylites, who decided to live on top of a 50-foot pillar. And he wanted to do so so that he could remove himself from the world, from other people, and it was a 10-square-foot 10, 10 uh, top of pillar, and he stayed there for 36 years of his life. withdrawn from people, withdrawn from society so that he, you know, that was his attempt at being truly spiritual. And even today you you can find monastic movements that take some of these spiritual disciplines to the extreme as a display of their faith. You know, and it's easy to get pulled in that direction isn't it? It's easy to get pulled there. Why? Well, finish this sentence. There's no such thing as a free, how would you finish it? No, no such thing as a free lunch, right? So we think, well, you know, it can't, our faith can't really be free. And many, you know, so we go about our Christian life, well, it's like, yeah, it's free, but it's really not free. So I have to do X, Y, and Z. You see, rules often focus on those personal disciplines because th- those are the things that we can see, that we can check off the list. You know, and I've, I've said it before and, and you've heard it, heard it said that our relationship with Jesus is a gift. It's not a list of things to do and don't do. That's not the life that we're called to. We, we can't earn God's favor. We, it's not about checking off a list of accomplishment, it's not, and it's not even about erasing the things that we should not do. All we can do is receive it. Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century uh, preacher, evangelist, author, just a man that God used in many ways to just advance the Christianity and Charles Spurgeon once wrote, he said, I have found in my own spiritual life, the more rules that I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. You know, isn't that the truth? The more rules we put on ourselves, the more guilty we can feel. You know, I, for me, I, I practice the spiritual discipline of keeping a journal. And th- this is the current notebook that I use for my journals. And I've been keeping a journal for for a long time, since since I was in high school. So I have this stack of journals that, that uh, you know, we, we move around with us everywhere we go. And, and my wife, Dory, made me pick up the bin and move it to our house because it's a little heavy. She's like, you can move your journals. I'm not. But I, I have the, al- almost this this love-hate relationship with the spiritual discipline of keeping a journal when i do it man, i feel spiritual and i, I can look back at my entries and I, and I record what god is doing in my life and i and i record my prayers and how god is answering my prayers but you know what if i don't do it if i set it down and i haven't if i haven't written in a while man i feel guilty I'm like, oh, I'm such a spiritual loser that I can't keep my, this spiritual discipline up. So it, is this a good practice to do? Yeah, because it helps me grow in my faith. But I would never say to you, you have to keep a spiritual journal. And sometimes I realize that th- even this can become legalistic for me. Because I feel like I, I have to write every day and, and sometimes it, it takes me you know, six or nine months to fill up a journal this size and other times I, can, I just knock it out and fill it up and I feel super spiritual because I write every day in my journal. You know? But you know what? I can't journal my way out of sin. As m- much as I want to think so that, that this is the key to my spiritual life, you know, it's not. I don't find my strength in writing a daily entry in my journal. I need God's power working in my life. It's His grace, not not a set of rules, not a set of activities that that really affect our life change. It's stepping into His grace. It's dwelling in His presence. It's abiding in Jesus that changes us, not the fact that, that we keep a journal or not. So a word to keep in mind through all of this stuff is the word balance. You need to keep a balance in your life. You know, yes, we need spiritual disciplines in our life, but it cannot be about the discipline. Yes, it's good for me to keep a journal, but I'm not going to require that of every believer here at Journey Christian Church. For me, you know, I pray I read my Bible, I journal, I practice time away for, with God, but it's not, those are not the end goals. It's all about the one that those things point to. It's about Jesus. So would I encourage you to keep spiritual disciplines? Absolutely. Only to the point that they point you closer to Jesus. Only to the point where they draw you closer to Jesus because it's all about Him. Martin Luther, he, he was a, probably one of the more famous monks throughout history. You know, he, he, he was the guy that really began the Protestant Reformation movement that allowed us to see that, that the practices of the Roman Catholic Church at the time were a little skewed, and he reminded us that we are saved by, by grace alone through our faith in Jesus. But he, he was a serious and intense monk, he was a brilliant man who wrote a lot, who thought a lot, who challenged the status quo. But he was also a man just really uh, intensely focused on his own spiritual disciplines in his life. He was a guy that, that would do everything he could to cross the spiritual T's and dot the spiritual I's in his life. And his list of spiritual t- achievements would you know, m- make us look you know, just pale in comparison. So one example of, of just how intense he was in his faith and how serious he was in it is that he at one point in his life, he took a pilgrimage to the city of Rome. And in the city of Rome, there was this pilgrimage site. Um, it's called the Holy Steps of St. John's Lateran. Now, I didn't know what that meant until I looked it up. But, but these holy steps are supposedly the steps that Jesus climbed on the way to facing uh, Pontius Pilate during his trial. So as as history goes, uh, supposedly those very steps that Jesus stepped on were cut out and removed and taken to Rome um, way back when, and they, they became a pilgrimage site for those with devout faith to go to. And Martin Luther was one of those that set out on a pilgrimage to, uh, to walk the holy steps of St. John's Lateran. But they wouldn't walk it. They would go up these steps on their knees. And at each, at each step they would stop. And Martin Luther, he would pray the Lord's Prayer and ask God to remove a loved one from purgatory. And then he'd crawl up the next step on his knees and pray again and ask God to remove one of his loved ones from purgatory. And by the time they would reach the top of these steps, their knees were bloodied, bruised, and battered. And Martin Luther, he wrote that when he got to the steps, he just realized, you know, how futile this really was. How futile such acts were, whether whether on behalf of others or himself. And get this he said he realized that the only hope we can ever have of being right with God depends on God himself isn't that so true I want to ask the praise team to come back up this morning and as they come back up let me ask you this question what's your Christianity like what's it look like for you to follow Jesus and what's your focus Is your focus on what you do or don't do, or is it on Jesus? Are you a a list list keeper, checking things off, or are you a grace giver? Are you anchored in experiences and feeling right, or are you anchored in the Word of God? Has your Christianity set you free, or has it tied you up in the weeds of legalism? And journey, stay connected to Jesus. Because any type of spirituality that veers away from Jesus is a Christ-less faith. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that uh, it's because of your grace we can stand before you as believers. It's, it's because of who you are that we can uh, enter into eternity. So, Father, help us keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus and not not the works or checklists or things that we can do. Father, may, may we never lose sight of that. And, Lord, may we never get pulled into the weeds of legalism. But, Lord, help us just to stay in the grace that you have given us. So, Lord, I pray that for our church family here. I pray that for myself, Lord, that we can keep ourselves focused on you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.